0: hello everyone let's all welcome our guest math eric and matthew thank you for coming back and if it's just my choice our choice we really want you to keep coming back but i know many want you because you're just a wealth of knowledge so for all of you out there listen up because you need to listen carefully behind and feel also math eric's energy behind his words, because there's so many information there and you could really get lost. And you think you are in the right direction, but no, you are also being used emotionally and intellectually. And before you know it, you are part of this, uh, whatever they call us or who, what they call us the uh, uh, useless eaters. So Math Erit is the uh, creator and editor in chief of the Canadian Patriot. And him, uh, he and his lovely wife, Cynthia Chong, uh, founded the Rising Tide Foundation. And um, they're both in Substack, I believe, and Substack is one of those most reliable um, source of information. Again, and uh, he's also the author of two books are two series and one is the untold history of canada so for canadians listen up! i know you know math and if you don't it's high time to for you to know him and then for the americans we also he he has written the book on the uh uh the the, how's that the americas okay Yes, and the third one he has it out already, and the third one is the birth of a Eurasian, manifest destiny, and I'll let Math explain all of that or have a brief description because, and Math, after you give a brief description, could you share that little story of a young patriot in your educational group the Sunday of what him and his family are doing with your books?
1: Oh yeah, 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 I. That's that's a completely. Uh, I was super happy to meet this young guy. Um, he's seventeen, named Declan, and uh, he's got a, a really great homeschool experience. Where him, his siblings, uh, and his parents just happen to have like a really healthy little mini micro culture, both for the family unit, but also for their network around a really healthy healthy run church community in uh, in Texas. And uh, it's just been a, a pleasure to to work with this guy because every every week I. My, you know myself, my my group here. We we set up little uh, reading groups, study, study sessions, workshops to work through the writings of Plato, um, various original writings by great thinkers who made history. In order to you know get a sense of how what is the universal character of great minds that tend to move things in a in an upward direction that don't sort of accommodate the the standards of normalcy or mediocrity that are are generally you know dominant at any given phase of human civ- civilization's history. So you tend to get these Da Vincis, you you get to you get you know a Benjamin Franklin occasionally, you know you, it, and people tend to treat these figures, um, kind of like outliers. You know, that there's the norm of what humans are, and then there's these outliers, these exceptional beings that just you don't you, you can't fit them into you can't explain what caused their their exceptionalism from the standpoint of what was normal in their space and time that they existed in. There's like nothing in there to account for how these people stand out. And um, I mean, in my theory, and I I don't think that that's the right way of looking at it. I tend to think of because most people tend to ignore when they look at history, the existence of a continuous oligarchical system that's been holding on like a parasite against the host and which has worked very hard to create cultural dynamics of mediocrity that that destroy our innate genius our innate natural potential as we're born as as babies to explore, to be in wonder, to make discoveries, and to continue to make that process better into our our old age. That's that should be, I think, the 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 best um, definition of a human being is the search for, the search for the and acquisition of and sharing of wisdom, and the pleasures associated with that. Not so much the pleasures of the the flesh, which are fine in and of themselves, but there they could be easily things that that induce us into becoming cattle like uh, slaves if we're not um, aware of how they might dominate us, right? If we don't cultivate our wisdom, we will give into the pleasures of the, the, the flesh, um, inordinately to the point that we cause regret, you know, we've overeaten the cake, right? So we, we cause greater pains and as such, we lose our own internal compass. And then we destroy, as we do that, our ability to be those geniuses, those, those, those great, and the, the word gets abused, right? Again, ge- to be ourselves, um, just as natural. <laughs> beings made in the image of a creative god um so we ignore that Ill- oligarchical system but i think when you think about people like erasmus or thomas more or uh i mean my god kepler or any of these great minds they're, they're people who basically just made their their pathway to their own cultivation their highest priority with a moral compass and they wanted to to make the, that process as transparent as possible for their fellow human beings, both in their time, but also afterwards with a moral intent, which is why people like Benjamin Franklin is such a great example. We're gonna be reading him soon. Uh, his autobiography and his works, his work on science and his work, his experiments playfully try to figure out, well, what is behind this thing in, this, in the clouds that causes forest fires and things like that, this electricity, what is the, its nature? And by understanding it, can we harness a new force of, of the universe to the benefit and service of humankind now he didn't see that as separate from his theory on economics on his uh, his essay on the observation towards the increase of mankind in 1751 which was a, a wonderful economic treatise where he refused British tr- free trade the British Empire's demands that the American colonies do not have access to protectionism because you know that's for the the mother country to own all of the manufacturing that she acquired by destroying Indian Indian textile mills and stuff, you know, which was the former primary productive zone of the world. The British Empire made sure that India wouldn't have that. She cut off the hands of tens of thousands of Indian laborers so that they couldn't actually make or practice their trade. And, you know, Britain used protectionism for herself. Of course, she wasn't that dumb in order to, you know, keep the, the markets do- or to dominate the markets. But she would never allow it for her victims, whether in Ireland, whether in the Americas, whether in anywhere. That They all had to submit to open borders, you know, uh, allow for the flooding of cheap goods to undercut your local markets so that you would stay dependent upon a monopoly, a, a hegemon, a unipolar power, which was the British Empire. So, so I mean,
0: can may I please just um, interrupt by just... So, when we mentioned the word eaters, useless eaters, is, it, is that something that someone just created, labeled and call a certain group? Is it a group of, uh, uh, is it by class, economic class? Is it by um, lineage in terms of like bloodline or, or and and is it that something really that we have to accept? And what can we really do in terms of, as, as you are saying and have been saying all along in, all your uh, in all your interviews yes. is transformation so because i think whatever we're learning now whether it be at home or in public or in a group it's so important to know who are we or who as an individual and as a well, human
1: being absolutely and i'm I'm setting the stage for that because essentially the useless eaters i mean, i've got a few slides um That begin with Yuval Noah Harari, who's a high priest of the World Economic Forum, who says something about his view of useless eaters. And he's trying to popularize that on behalf of his owners, um, which is ugly. Useless eaters, though, you'll see essentially applies to everybody who... does not access the, the side of their their natural identity, which is in alignment with the love of wisdom, which is what we actually are. To the degree that we don't get access to, to, we can't tap into that source, the effect of our lives are going to cause a system to break down over time. And as such, as the system breaks down that supports human life over time, if we're not being creative, if we're not being creative in the, in the most fruitful way, it will result in a, in a reduced ability to support life. And as such, there will be certain consequences that those with power and bad intentions will utilize an objective crisis of scarcity to uh, argue that certain parts of the population can no longer be maintained, kind of like cattle. Now, that's something which, again, Benjamin Franklin in 1751, in his observations on the increases of mankind, as well as his earlier 1729 on the necessity for a paper currency calling for a colonial script, uh, to have uh, economic independence for the colonies. He was refuting this in both theory in his written form that no, human beings actually don't have these limits if you give them opportunities and if you give the nations that they organize themselves in the ability to defend themselves and to cultivate their own backyards, hence protectionism. You need to protect you know, your every nation state to be a nation state. Even before there were nation states in the colonies, he was saying we need to have the right for manufacturing to stand on our own two feet because when you when you have that you have a greater spectrum of opportunity to discover the brilliance of the minds of the people who no longer have to just labor as brute animals on a plantation and that's good to discover new skills you know and you make new discoveries and inventions now that was the theory in the practice he was discovering he leaped leapfrogged every single great mind of europe who was like arrogant and prideful that they were so advanced the best you know, expressions of mind in the world were these European scientists who couldn't discover the thing that this great, this guy with a grade three education across the pond of the backward back, you know, the backwaters of the United States that nobody respected back then, you know, what are these colonies on the outside of the world, right? He was able to leapfrog all of them and discover something that they couldn't discover because they didn't have the flexibility or the love of truth that he did. And by him doing that, it not only had the effect of, it wasn't just like, these stupid theories that they come up with today like the god particle in, in you know standard model quantum mechanics which changes nothing like you know we discovered the god particle in 2012 and it's like what changed nothing oh okay so is that really a discovery or did we just come up with did we just like explode two particles against each other right <laughs> and then get like a few little orbital pathways that conform to some mathematical Uh, fudging of data that we put forth in the 60s saying that, oh, we got this thing that could account for the existence of mass and coherence. And, you know, we just like fudged the data and we made a new mathematical model, but we didn't, it didn't change anything. So is that really a discovery or did we just, you know, play with a mathematical sleight of hand? And so with Ben Franklin, he demonstrated the true expression of a real discovery. Like when you, when you create a real a uh, a real new new um solution concept which we create by wrestling with tension in the of the mind with a paradox right over a long time with unbroken concentration that's what he did for years he's obsessing in a healthy way um he was able to finally resolve the 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 dissidents or the dissonance of the mind make his he created his solution concept and as an effect he was able to invent something like 150 or more inventions um that that like the lightning rod and, and other things that all allowed for our our relationship to the universe to change in a way that allowed us to have a better quality of life to sustain more people at a higher standard of living so all of a sudden and also more access to our mind powers right which applied to the the poor and the rich alike and that's how he charmed he was able to organize a big chunk of the uh, the European um, scientists, especially in France, where he was the ambassador, he he was able to organize them to a different paradigm. These people who had been living in aristocracy and, and oligarchism in Europe, right? They were able, they, they had to confront the paradox that this uneducated guy from a non-hereditary superior bloodline was able to do something imp- impossibly good. And um, that doing so caused a a complete electric polarization in the minds in a good way, uh, which allowed for a lot of the European, the better European aristocrats and scientists to even uh, support the American cause. Even some people in Britain were like, what are we doing? We're doing it all wrong. And they had to change their ways. And you had these fights within Britain as well over like, maybe we should, you know, you had actual lords of the parliament even saying, maybe we should just like let our colonies go. We've been doing this wrong, you know, (laughs) because Ben Franklin was that good. It's and, uh,
0: it, it's really so sweet and empowering to hear again and again that you know what, only a, a true discovery is when it improves people's quality of lives and people and inspire them more and so then and, yeah. and thank, you, thank you thank you for explaining that and emphasizing that in all your interviews and by the way um Matt feel free to share uh, at any point in time just and yeah. and all the rest also, of here, Roy, uh, Jane, and, Ma- and uh, Hartmut, will you, you know? Feel free to just come in with any of your questions or comments, because I know okay. Matt is under time pressure.
1: <laughs> oh, sorry, not that bad. We got we got time. It's good.
2: Uh, but
1: yeah, are let, you I actually let... going
2: to do a presentation so we can actually look at the thing and then
1: perhaps yeah. comment on Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so here, let me do a share. I'll do a share a share screen, share screen, uh, Windows. Here we are. Nope, wrong one. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hold on. I'm so sorry. This worked out in our test run. Kind of wish I didn't do the test run, just did it now. uh, Share screen.
0: Yeah, and while Matt is doing um, yeah. it up, just do yourself a favor and share it to others as well. Okay, this podcast right now. Okay.
1: I'm gonna put it there. Oh yes, it was open there.
0: there.
1: Yeah. Can you guys see that?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So this is the big point of confusion. I often say that you know we are um, in a lot of my writings and and and, and interviews. You know, I always I, I like this device of thinking about the battle over what the the future will be uh, centered around a clash of paradigms, and that the those paradigms are differentiated by um, uh, operating systems that are presumed to either be closed or open that 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 the it's not a fine it's not a, a done game the 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 old system that we have had as far as a, a neoliberal so-called rules based you know order of um of globalization unipolarism especially that arose after 1992 that's pretty much over and that's not coming back it was it's not coming back and it couldn't come back because it was always designed to fail it was never designed to succeed so since 1971, the thing that was put into motion by—I mean, that was the year that the U.S. dollar was floated onto the floating exchange rates. It, the the process of de, you know—liberalization, deregulation of the markets uh, began to become more normalized, especially into the, the 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 greed is good, you know, age of the 1980s of Thatcherism, Reaganomics, privatize everything. Um, but it was also 1971, the age when, or the time when, the World Economic Forum was also created as a um, a new sort of baby Bilderberger group, right, to organize for the solution of the the oncoming demolition, the controlled demolition of the the entire uh, financial system. The financial system itself was turned into a time bomb of speculative banking, speculative debt, unpayable debts that are supporting un. Um, fictitious capital that has grown at a hyperbolic rate, while the real economy that supports life, that supports the the mind of people has been allowed to atrophy for 50 plus years straight. Um, R&D, investments into cutting-edge research that we were doing in the 1960s, all of this was incre- incrementally just destroyed by the early 80s, um, leaving only really the, the forms of technology that have been permitted during this time have been primarily... Um, information systems technologies have been permitted uh entertainment video game you know cgi forms of, of technology that are tied to uh, distraction which is another form of you know mental enslavement if used for bad reasons or bad intentions um that technology that that form of creative growth has been permitted to grow in a controlled way um and also, you know, things like biotech, big pharma tech that it involves really just creating billions and billions and trillions of dollars for private pharmaceutical corporate uh, companies rather than actually curing diseases, which was the purpose of health science to begin with. So we've now come to a point where we're going to get a new system. What what will be its character? So we know that the closed system priesthood of the Davos clique of people like you, uh, um, Klaus Schwab Um, his mentor, Henry Kissinger, that, that whole crew, they have, uh, what you could call a Malthusian, um, a Malthusian religion that they want to bring about as a solution. Um, it takes the form of things like green new deals, build back better. Like they use certain brand branding names, but overall the characteristic is to reduce the means to use the crisis as an opportunity, the crisis that they themselves created, um, as an opportunity to introduce the solution, which involves going to forms of energy, food production practices, uh, health technologies that will reduce the ability to support life on the earth, both human and other. Now, that's not a coincidence, they thought it through, but they won't, they'll rarely, though they will sometimes say it the way that I just said it. So, Yuval Harari has been a um, I'll just say it quickly. I mean, he's a he's a um, an ideologue, a philo- so-called philosopher, he calls himself a scientist of what I don't know, um, who has been really trotted up and promoted to become like the the, uh, the spokesman for the new philosophy, the new the new paradigm that the Davos crew wants to bring online. Harari says two quotes and there's two quotes here I'm going to cite um, that gets across this. Describing the useless eater phenomenon, he says, I think that the biggest question in maybe in economics and politics in the coming decades will be what to do with all these useless people. The problem is more boredom and how to, uh, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games as a solution for most. It's already happening, I think, Once you're superfluous, you don't have power. So Harari, I mean, he's describing what his idea of technology is, which is very different from the Ben Franklin uh, human experience of technological and scientific progress, which is that in his mind, technology always uh, makes human beings more and more irrelevant in time. Because his view is that automation, information systems, everything else will take over the functions of the human machines, which is all he defines. And people like him, they always think of human beings as simply mechanical um, devices, eating and pooping machines, which have emotions and want to have sex. Like that's really the uh, <laughs> the essence of what makes human, human. Um, of course, when he speaks about these worthless e- people who are going to be made worthless by machines replacing their activity in the fourth industrial revolution. He rarely refers to his own self. He, he always refers to them as them, which is a symptom of people who have God complexes. It's, it's a bit of a sickness. Um, so <laughs> their lives are going to be meaningless, meaningless, worthless, and they won't have any power anymore. In the new age that's coming on human beings, as we've known them for thousands of years, have been able to utilize political power because they had labor. That they could give or 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 remove from the from service of uh, the master class in order to give themselves power, says him, says Harari. But now that the vast majority are going to be replaced, and we can give them, you know, obviously some drugs and video games to satisfy their lusts while they wait to be uh, euthanized or something, um, they won't have political power because they won't have labor to offer or to uh, to withhold. And then he calls for a new religion. Just to make it clear, he sees himself as like this new technic- technocratic transhuman Moses. And he's what's called a transhumanist, where he says, We have no answer in the Bible and also the Quran and Torah and other things. We have no answer what to do with humans who are no longer useful to the economy. You need completely new ideologies, completely new religions, and they are likely to emerge from Silicon Valley and not from the Middle East. And they are likely going to give people visions based on technology. He's, I think he's referring to probably drugs and metaverse, you know, that give you visions. Uh, everything that the old religions promised, happiness and justice and even eternal life. But here on Earth, with the help of technology and not after death, with the help of some supernatural being. I find that pathetic and hilarious. But you, because you, you sort of get a sense of the insecurity of those who are promoting and who believe in this ideology, which is ultimately they're, they've they been unable to reconcile the very obvious fundamental problem, not even problem, but reality of the human condition, which is that we are self-aware of our mortality. We, we have access to these ideas of truth, of eternity, of beauty, of goodness in a, in a, in a, in a, in a in a hot perfection we have concepts like that but we live in a world that is imperfect not eternal in the sense that our bodies and you know are are limited right so they can't resolve their fear of death and they're all obsessed with um getting the philosopher's stone or you know el dorado or drinking from the chalice of uh, the holy grail or whatever else you know like to try to give themselves this is these are the mythologies of the of the oligarchy for for the past centuries and millennia the new variants that have been created involve things like uploading your binary computer program into the cloud, AKA, because they don't believe in soul. They don't believe in freedom. They don't believe in God. These are all metaphysical abstractions that have no meaning for a materialist, but they, but, but yet they still have to transplant their idea of, of uh, heaven with clouds that you upload, but they're clouds that are run by Google or Microsoft, right? Um, or transplanting your body into a cyborg, or infusing technology into you in such a way that we can stay relevant, in so that um, computers don't replace us with AI too soon. They still believe it's inevitable that that AI is going to completely replace uh, biological forms of life in time. But they're like, well, like Elon Musk, right? NeuroNet. We can we can slow down our uh, that replacement age where we go extinct by increasingly becoming hybrids with machines, you know, emerging, creating test to babies, a la Aldous Huxley with CRISPR uh tech increasingly, or just infusing with different forms of, of machinery. So all these transhumanists, they all have this elan vital mystical idea that we are being propelled forward by this increasing system of complexity, which is reaching a bifurcation point around which some new age is going to just emerge. So it's a very mystical idea. And this new age is where uh, essentially machines take over life and they always position themselves as still existing within that new system as the overlord masters, um, the new gods, right? Of this new religion. And even when, when you look at things like the great narrative project of the World Economic Forum, it's a, that's actually a project is to create new religions for, that are relevant for the post great reset age.
2: And this, uh, the one world religion that's kind of being formed at the moment, I believe, is in Dubai where they're actually building it. I don't know, if it built, like, from my understanding, is that all the religions are on board for this? Like, are,
1: are the public aware of this? Well, you, you have kind of like I, I wrote in my book, uh, The Clash of the Two Americas, to get across the two different, uh, opposing uh, traditions within the USA going back to Ben, you know, the 1750s to the present. You have sort of the same thing in religions, where you got you have um, oligarchical and humanist uh, battles within within Islam, within Judaism, within Christianity, within Hinduism, within I mean everything. You you have these battles of different of those who see human beings uh, as being made in the image of mud to be controlled by a master class, and 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 you have agents within you know each that have penetrated fifth columns into every religious group. And then you have uh, people who actually abide by the principles that are uh, expressed for the good in their various religious uh, texts, That's that a certain various forms and various words and languages that human beings are made good in the image of a creator can participate in the process of creation, right? That our conscience, that, that, that there will be effects for our lives having been lived good or bad in this life that will have some repercussion in some form um, after we die, so you got good people and bad people in, in all. But indeed, you know, when you look at the Vatican, for example, it, I think it really fell under a coup d'etat um, to this Jesuit transhumanist type of ideology. Does that mean every single church and every of, of within the Catholic Church is corrupt or that every single bishop and cardinal is all in on board on, on it? Not, not at all. There's fights. We see examples of, of many good people fighting within. Um, same thing for Islamic uh, mosques and other things. But um, yeah, they want to create a new religion a new a new synthetic religion controlled by a new you know high priesthood and they want that high priesthood to have their own synthetic religion of the elite that's controlled by a still higher high priesthood so it's a you know it's a system of of illusion and nested illusions it's not a system that has any regard to the idea that we all can discover truth by awakening our inner potential right to <laughs> to do what ben franklin did again and people like plato and others i mean throughout history you've got examples of 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 people who were able to discover truths great and small share and participate in those truths with the universe and have the universe resonate to our new knowledge of her create of creation by giving us a greater power of action to have a better life more people better quality of life more space you know so these guys don't believe that they think technology is just to enslave us they don't see technology as a liberating force which is really what it is it's more of a spiritual thing if you think about it it's like the 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 technology from a proper standpoint is the effect of the art our, our interface with the divine by being creative and we can then find ways of expressing that creativity in a, in material ways that allows us to have certain material effects but it should never be seen as caused by materialism which is what these guys do um just on the technology through, uh, there, with the like, is what I'm seeing
2: is with the the children. They're really bringing them in at an early age you now with Minecraft, and like everything yeah. is tracked. So they're learning everything from them. So they know how to condition them later. The whole lot is actually systemized without people even realizing it. And unfortunately, parents they're happy their child is sitting down, with you know, without disturbing them. But it's shocking the amount of, you know, the millions that are involved in that young children watching. Uh, you know the likes of Minecraft, with everything being tracked. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, and, and in a sense, these kids are are have been targeted. They're being um, uh, changed according to an idea that they are like software. That that the video the video game programmers of their lives are able to um modify their wiring of their brain in order to get them addicted and to think of certain norms that were you know involve metaverse getting into you know augmented reality virtual reality things like that and uh, and w- modes of 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 value systems that have no bearing on how the universe actually works that's that that you know get them to think that their emotions are the source of the foundation upon which they should build their ideas of what is true or false right and if you feel like you know, you're, you're born a boy, but you feel like a, a girl. Well, you must be a girl. And if you feel like a banana, you must be a banana, but because that's how you genuinely feel. <laughs> um, and it's like the whole idea that there was such a thing as even like male or female has become something that is akin to almost like, well, you must be a fascist if you think that. And it's like, well, <laughs> like what if, what if you math, even people have been making the arguments over the last, you know, of that, that math itself is intrinsically racist. Rather than the idea that it was used by racists, um, which is the proper argument, there, there is now a whole high school of thought which has contaminated our, our school system, which teaches kids that um, no, math itself is intrinsically racist because you could because slave masters use math to measure how many slaves they could fit on a galley. Um, so you know you have a medi- a, a, a creation of mediocrity in the the target population and the millennials the young people born after the year 2000 especially have really gotten it bad um obviously there's there's wonderful um phenomena of things like i was mentioning uh my young friend declan and his family who have demonstrated how through a proper loving uh non-uber liberal uh family unit they were able to break free of that and they read shakespeare together they you know he this, he was telling me that they read they're even reading my book series every night a chapter um together as a family unit and discri- discussing this as their as their entertainment right that's that's just c- phenomenal with other families right that are that are working together so you can definitely awaken something much more human and it's in a sense a lot easier because to create human beings that are so unnaturally um misshapen like the the majority of the kids are being processed right now to become really misshapen souls uh who will much more quickly adapt to an artificial fascist technic technotronic system of governments um it's that takes a lot of work to it's like a bonsai tree right like a bonsai tree is not supposed to grow that way that takes a lot of work to artificially like warp the the growth of the bonsai tree with like you know (laughs) steel wires over time to and there's an f you know there's a certain prettiness about them but that's, that's a lot of work. To just let a tree grow naturally is much easier. Uh, you pour water on it, give it sunlight, give it some nutrients. You know, in a sense, it's much more natural, what I'm trying to say, to grow a healthy, well-rounded human being than it is to grow one of these, um, you know, Greta, Greta Thunberg types. So, anyway, useless eaters. So, and that that's that's really how to create useless eaters, right? You create people who are not able to tap into their own powers. Of creative thought properly so that they can't refute why they're overpopulated and when the time comes to where they have to make you know they're confronted with the argument that well there's not enough resources to go around to support your mom or your dad or or maybe even yourself in, you know when you're 50 60 years old um just they're... just on that actually because a lot of yeah. the times you know
2: we're told overpopulated but if you look at africa like yeah. we were lied to the whole time about the size of africa on the maps yeah, I
1: you know, and most people don't even realize that. No, yeah, you could fit. I mean, I saw studies with the 8 billion people we have now. You could give each person uh, a townhouse with a little plot of land. Every person on the earth in Texas, the state of Texas, every person just to get a. No, you would never want to organize a society that way, admittedly. But I'm just saying you could fit every person, all 8 billion with into a townhouse, a little plot of land in Texas. And, uh, and that's 8 billion people. So it's like proportionally who, who's saying that we're overpopulated, you know, anyway, the, so, but it's not even a question of space. It's, it's more question of like quality of minds, uh, that can, uh, use and create, like we, why can't we green a, a desert? You know, like you can desalinate water. You can green a desert. The deserts today used to be green. Not that, you know, a few thousand years ago, the Sahara blossomed. So, why can't we just do that again? We're oh, because we're told we're not allowed. It's like, well, okay, who's telling us that? It's the Malthusians, the people who have who are trying to create scarcity so that we we get into our little cage. So, who is this Malthus? They call themselves Malthusians. Yuval Harari is a Malthusian. Um, well, Thomas Malthus was himself also literally a priest, he was a, a, I think he was a Calvinist, but I'm not sure, um, a reverend. Um, But he was really satanic. He was more of the Hellfire Club (laughs) style uh, Christian priest. Um, And he was a employee for the British Empire. He he was a teacher at the British East India Company's Haleybury College, which was the the key college that produced all of the economists, the managers, the civil servants that would like manage the colonial office and the British Empire uh, for a long time. So he was a key controller, a grand strategist in that sense. And he put put out. Um, a a form, a mathematical way of controlling society. And I'll show it to you. But he basically says, in terms of the problem of population growth, he says, we should, we being, you know, the more than humans, the Uber mention, um, the managers of the British empire, we should facilitate instead of foolishly and vainly endeavoring to impede the operations of nature in producing this mortality. Um... And if we dread the too frequent visitation of the horrid form of famine, we should sedic- sedulously encourage the other forms of destruction, which we compel nature to use. In our, in our towns, we should make the streets narrower, crowd more people into the houses, and court the return of the plague. So this is something which we, he's not a theoretician. He, he's, he's actually describing things that are put into practice. All of these things are done um, over the ensuing 250 years since it was written in 1799. Um, And he goes on. I should propose a regulation to be made declaring that no child born from any marriage taking place after the expiration of a year from the date of the law and no illegitimate child born two years from the same date should ever be entitled to parish assistance. The infant is, comparatively speaking, Of little value to society, as others will immediately supply its place. That cold son of a bitch. So just to get across, right, like this is this is kind of like the way people think in terms of the quality adjusted life year model of the, you know, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence of Britain that has put on online this mathematical idea of how do you judge lives that are more or less worthy to be lived? Who will receive the scarce medical resources um, in a constrained medical system? Will they say, well, let's create quality adjusted life years. So in their logic and people like, you know, Ezekiel Emanuel is a, a big promoter of this. This is at the heart of o- the Obama healthcare reforms that have been revived in uh, today's Biden, USA. Um, which essentially calls for placing a dollar value on the average year of life of people based upon their age. And so in the mind of a of somebody like this, they have said and argued that a child might only be meritus, like a child of two years, three years of age or younger, has less value dollar-wise per year than somebody who is 22, who has already been, in, you know, the, the system has invested in their education and they're a worker who will pay this amount of money for taxes for the next 50 45 years, um, they have a higher yearly, um, value per, for one, one year of life than the, than the infant does, which will not receive medical treatment under conditions of scarcity. Same thing for an older person, very, your value decreases as you get older, despite the fact that your power of wisdom should also increase. And thus your power of making society better should also increase as you get older, but they don't ignore, they ignore that because they don't, they're materialists. So this is Malthus. He's saying we should let infants die if, if needed because they have little value and others will take their place in a very utilitarian worldview as, of a system. Um, and we should court what nature gave us to regulate populations of famine, plague, war, you know, the four uh, horsemen. Those are all good things, unfor- you know, and this is what made British economy. It, beca- it became known as the dismal science because it was no longer the science of happiness. Of Ben Franklin, because Ben Franklin taught that economics was the science of happiness, that the science of government, which was understood as a, as a type of technology, government, the, the crafting of laws, the crafting of constitutions is a form of metaphysical technology, but that is not deterministic in Ben Franklin's understanding or in the understanding of Abraham Lincoln or John F. Kennedy, who we'll look at, but it was rather a system that was influenced by by wisdom and free will or folly it could be made better or worse ac- according to design purpose and intention uh both of the framers of the laws but also of each individual generation that either renewed that understanding or let it dissipate and it became and if those laws of a society should ever become too crystallized incapable of self-perfectability of change for a directed change then that society loses its mandate its its ability to uh sustain its own freedom you know and that's the ben franklin idea of what did you create for us when he was asked a republic if you can keep it that's the whole idea so it's contingent on each individual generation renewing and defending and improving upon what was created at, to make a republic work and that requires a culture which is more than mediocre you cannot allow for mediocrity in culture to overtake your system otherwise we give up liberties in in, in order to achieve uh stability or security At which point, as Ben Franklin also said, we lose the right for both. Um, So that's Thomas Malthus, who Ben Franklin also refuted um, in his um, essays on the increase of mankind in 1751. And this is what his prodigy Alexander Hamilton also took aim at in his many writings, which is also why Alexander Hamilton has become so demonized by years and years of propaganda to convince us that he was a Rothschild stooge out to destroy the usa and in fact no he was an anti-malthusian hero who cre who saved the usa and allowed the u.s to survive its first precarious 40 years of existence after the the revolution and created the basis upon which every great president who is shot and dies or is poisoned and dies while in office is invoking um all the way from harrison in 1840 to lincoln to garfield to mckinley to uh FDR and and, and JFK, they're all invoking the exact same Ben Franklin Hamiltonian anti-Malthusian principle, and we'll see more of that. This is the great mathematical discovery for social engineers that Malthus created, where he was able to identify that human populations always grow geometrically in blue and food resources replenish themselves arithmetically in red, giving way to a crisis point at which uh which means that the social engineers, the mathematicians, the economists uh managing the system from above always have a tool to regulate the blue curve long before it ever supersedes the red curve with the remedies he proposed. The transhumanists are a direct outgrowth of this. Charles Darwin, okay so we're all taught Charles Darwin uh discovered the law of evolution of uh the survival of the fittest in a race for diminishing returns okay well did he really or was this just a theory that was promoted for political objectives uh, at the expense of better theories that could more properly describe the reason flow of evolution as it we it is actually observed in fossil records um i my contention is and i think the evidence speaks to this that it was a more of a political ideology than it is a scientific ideology Charles Darwin is also a mathematician, a biologist, who thought of biology in a mathematical way, just like Malthus thought of human systems in a a mathematical way. And uh, he writes his autobiography, um, I think in the 1870s, I believe, describing how he came to his discovery of his theory of evolution. And he describes here in October 1838... Fifteen months after I had begun my systematic inquiry, I happened to read for amusement Malthus on population, and being prepared to appreciate the struggle for existence, which everywhere goes on, from long-continued observation of the habits of animals and plants, it at once struck me that under these circumstances, favorable variations would tend to be preserved, and unfavorable ones to be destroyed. The result would be the formation of a new species. And here, then, I had at last got a theory by which to work. What did he just say? Did he just say he got his discovery, his theory of evolution from reading Thomas Malthus? Yes, he did. He did say that. <laughs> so um, he's basically, you know, what is the Darwin theory? it tries to account for the the newly discovered uh, evidence of fossil records, indicating that species are not as immutable as we had hitherto thought they were. And that instead you tend to have these these new types of species coming into being over time. Um, And the question was, is there a direction to it? Is there a purpose? Is there a design? Is there evidence of an intention behind this entire flow? Um, Is there, uh, if if so, what are its rules? Is there a, har- a, a harmony of of the parts within organisms? What about organisms as they relate to their species or their system as a whole? And so, a lot of scientists, just like scientists in Ben Franklin's day, were all trying to fixate on what's the nature of this elect- electrical force. Um, they were all. This was like an obsession through, throughout the nineteenth century. Is what is the 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 mechanism? Darwin, in his view, the mechanism is that the that there's a fight for diminishing returns in a in a closed s- set of resources that are always going to diminish as the parts that eat that have sex within them grow and multiply so as you get that multiplication you get a tension as you get the tension you have now an impetus for what's called a randomized mutation function to happen so there's a like a a, a constant imagine Uh, a, a rolling of the dice metaphorically always happening in within the organism that cause random changes. And sometimes you get lucky and you get, you know, you know, eight sixes a million times in a row. And, uh, and all of a sudden a variant will arise a mutation that allows for a bigger claw or a bigger fang or a longer tongue for an anteater or something, right. That will then allow it to edge out its, its competitors to eat more ants, to run faster, kill kill better have, better, have more sex, spread its seed, and thus the old mutations will disappear and the new mutations will uh, follow and new species come into being gradually. Now, the problem here is that there is no evidence of gradualism in the fo- fossil records. You tend to get these leaps, these discontinuous sort of quantum leaps in time, you never tend to get just a gradualism, like you know, a thousand different variants of monkey slowly making its way to humans. You tend to get you know very specific quantum uh, leaps, in a sense, you know, throughout that process. Um, you get that for all sorts of species. So that was a problem. Where what? How do we account for the absence of gradualistic evidence? And also, well, what about the evidence that there is that there is a non-randomness in the universe? Because I mean, if it's true that we moved, that life-living matter moved from being simple-celled organisms, uh, you know, some time ago, to being increasingly interesting, to the point that we're all now having a conversation mediated through electrical currents, uh, you know, throughout space and time, using processes of the mind, of this complex brain, you know, interfacing with my body, inducing sounds that are intelligible, right, to you guys and to the audience, like, if all of that was random. Well, I got a bridge to sell you. I mean, it's like somebody, you know, you hear the, the, the example of like, well, it's it's like, it's like having somebody with all of the ingredients for making for, uh, a cake that they bought at the grocery store. They fall down the stairs, and when they get to the bottom of the stairs, you have a cake. It's like, no, <laughs> there's, there's obviously evidence of intelligent design of, of intent every in everything we look at, even from galaxy formation. You know, the golden section occurs not just in the formation of living matter, but also occurs in galaxies. Implying that there might be something that is more than dead animating or, you know, even the formation of galaxies and the birth of stars within galaxies and the birth of galaxies from galaxies. Right. Like there's a whole way of thinking about science that Benjamin Franklin was was fighting to defend that has been derailed. So Charles Darwin was a Malthusian. He just took Malthus and applied Malthus to all of life, whereas Malthus was applying his theories to human life.
0: (laughs) And Matthew, you mentioned
3: um, a, a satanic.
1: Sure.
3: Yeah, and like there seems to be an agenda to c- cut us off from our connection to source and our brilliance and genius. Are is like I don't understand Satanism very much at all. Is like what is the, what is the underlying belief there?
1: <sighs> I think that. Um... I think that the, the universal constant, because there there's different manifestations of this thing, you know. Um, but overall the, the constancy that I think is is there is the tendency to see our, to, to detach the self from the species and, and, and from, from the universe and from God and and to see yourself instead as an elite, as an elite, uh, an arrogant elite uh, who believes that you yourself are God. That that through the sheer force of will, you can make the universe conform to your your desires of how you would like the universe and and its creation to be rather than to adapt yourself to the discoveries that you could have made about how that universe actually is. And, And that should tell us something about the creator of said laws, right? If there's laws, there's a lawmaker. And if the laws are there, we didn't make them. It means that there's some some something that flows as far as the essence of the Creator through the discoverable laws that also should tell us about what we are what we are are actually you know the, as we go outward and discover the universe we find out what we are inside and they don't want to do that and I think that there's you have those who don't want to do that and they're foolish they didn't they didn't know better and I wouldn't say that 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 those who I think are the majority of people who are instruments for the will of the oligarchy. <laughs> Tend to fall into that that gray zone category. They're not fully aware of what they are doing. Um, they're instruments for the will of a higher power. For those who are aware that that they're destroying a higher truthful good, but are are un, unwilling to uh, to change their uh, their way of thinking because they they love their their hedonistic pleasures and they're you know more than more than truth. Um, they will destroy the good, um, and do, and I think that that qualifies you as evil and any type of rituals that go on as far as the creation of perverse, you know, there's like a weird spiritualism embedded in a lot of this, um, that involves, uh, awakening passions that are the most unnatural as possible. And we've all seen evidence of that. Right. Um, and and certain certain mythologies are created and passed down from one generation of oligarch to the next. Um, but I think that they 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 need to hide behind certain nested sets of theories, both for the masses and also for their own um managers who will who they cause they will always need managers, civil you know, high upper 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 echelon um groupings to manage the the complex system. Yeah, who are not allowed themselves to know what's really going on. They're like in Plato's cave, right? Plato's allegory of the cave. Yeah. You, you know, th- those who are who are given the special, uh, the higher education to manage the puppets that cast the shadows on the cave wall, are themselves <laughs> not necessarily the puppet masters. They believe in their own sets of of puppets too. Um, of shadows, but they're well, closer. Yeah. To the fire.
3: and it, it makes me question if it doesn't come from a species that doesn't have connection to source therefore they have to control those of us that do but
1: well i, I mean I, I that's that's I, I approach it epistemologically myself like i, I tend to look at epistemological epistemological battles and how they relate to the soul and our, our inter interface with with god um that's a let's keep that discussion actually for the so there's a few more points to zero in on since we are dealing with something that he's using Satan or Satanic theories masquerading in a secular uh, modality. So Darwin himself was never capable of arguing or defending his own position in public, implying to me that he was probably more of a tool. And I don't think he was self aware of of how his theories were being used politically. Um, And I get that sense because he describes in later years in letters to his mother, how he is uh, he lost the ability to find joy in poetry and music in uh, Shakespeare, like he did when he was a kid. And he said, when I was a younger man, I used to even write poetry. And I feel that my, my own theories have destroyed my ability to love beauty. And he describes this in a really agonizing way in a letter to his mom. And it's sad. So I, I see Darwin as sort of a useful idiot um, who sort of, you know, <laughs> like the mafia says, you don't, you don't do your own drugs, right? They're, they're there to be sold. <laughs> and some of these, these oligarchs end up, you know, consuming their own <laughs> the poison that was supposed to be reserved for their their victims, who were who were a little bit more in controlling positions, though. And I think here it's useful to look at the person of of Thomas Thomas Huxley, who was the the founder of the term agnosticism, and um and Huxley created in eighteen sixty five a network called the X Club, run out of the Royal Society, which sort of brought together different representatives in Britain of of British empiricism. Um, who had become dominant in their fields of mathematics, astronomy, sociology, economics. Uh, the guy down here is Herbert Spencer, the guy with the, the funny half-beard uh, sideburns, who uh, took, he was a, 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 a frequent guest at these X-Club meetings. It was sort of like an early think tank to try to t- could take control of all different branches of science under this Darwinian interpretation um, of a closed system of pure description in mathematics, ignoring the qualitative reality that should be the thing that a true scientist is always concerned about, not does does the universe fit your mathematical formula and he's the guy who created uh, social Darwinism, the the first application of Darwin's theory into weeding out the unfit, sort of a neo a neo Malthusianism. Galton later later on comes out of this process too, and Thomas Huxley. Has a whole network of students, including H.G. Wells, who go on to be high-level uh, predictive programming black magicians, in a sense, um, and uh, and many others who even create things like the emergent evolution doctrine, the neo-Darwinianism of emergent evolution, which is attractive to a lot of spiritual people, but in reality, it's actually just a trap. Um, which you know, people like his uh, grandson Julian Huxley was a big promoter of it, and Julian Huxley took. The emergent evolutionary idea that there are these independent of our free will or or thoughts, there is this force, this élan vital, like I said, of vitalism, of of just this evolutionary force compelling us demonically towards a, p- a point of increasing complexity where human beings will effectively, you know, they, they say we will achieve Christ consciousness. Says uh, transhumanist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who works with Julian Huxley. But in reality, they just mean total enslavement under a, a technocratic feudalism. That's what they mean, but they'll say other things that sound attractive, often to even Christians and religious people. Um, so anyway, the X Club is an attempt to try to codify and and, and out of this emerges things like eugenics under Francis Galton, uh, Darwin's cousin, who uh, Darwin says, you won me over. I didn't want to believe that your theories were right, but I, you've totally won me over, which is again, a more hands-on version of social Darwinism. Social Darwinism of Spencer was just, it was like more of like a, an Adam Smith free market idea of liber- liberalism to weed out the unfit that if you just let all governments just have no influence over the economy, let everybody just be a hedonistic beast. The weak will be weeded out, will be killed. The strong will, will, uh, dominate and an eventual new species of Uber mentioned better, more than humans will just emerge that way. Um, Galton, this is a fake debate, right? Cause Galton, his so-called debate uh, opponent said, no, 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 we we ha- we can't let chaos dominate that process. We have to uh, make it more of a hands on science. There's rules you see of of statistically determining who will be less less smart in the future, who will be more prone to criminal behavior by looking at your grandparents and great grandparents and forecasting where your child's or grandkids uh proficiencies will be or will not be. And based upon such statistical probability, we will justify sterilizing you now." Um, That was eugenics. Or
3: breathing positive eugenics. One question. One question I have. So these guys, the Huxley Club, is, let's say, the basis of the high school system.
1: Yes. Yeah, today's high school system is totally influenced by all of these figures. John Tyndale's method, uh, Dalton Hooker, Matthew Arnold. Yeah. Yeah, it's all mathematics. The descript- a descriptive an idea that science is description, not discovery. It's it's voyeuristic. That's what even Stephen Hawking and, said, his view of science is to describe everything and it's like, no, it's to discover, <laughs> it's to discover, not to describe. You're thinking like a voyeur.
3: And yeah. it's so interesting because um uh, uh Rockefeller wrote a book, mm-hmm. um in the ni- in the beginning of the 20th century, about the change or transformation of the school system and where the people started not to think in artists or philosophy and all that stuff, but they are only focused on agriculture and medicine, most yeah. uh, new medicine, and they become really the slaves. So they are really this, uh, yeah, the slaves for the work. That's it. Yeah. And this is the whole school system today.
1: That's brilliant what you just said. Yeah, and that ties into the useless eater thing because it's like, yeah. how are they able to create people who are less than less than human? Is you cut them off from their source? You cut them off. You you teach them the techniques to make them like cogs in a machine, but you don't teach them uh, the spiritual, the artistic, the aesthetic side, the aesthetic side of themselves. You you cut that off and you say no. The arts are the world of feeling, and 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 science is the world of of logic and by making that artificial divide that they cannot they they cannot coexist you people lose their creative powers to be more than the machine they they're not they cannot be more than the repetitive action that they were expected to do in the system that that they were you know uh, born into and then when the system is overridden by by new by something more they cannot adapt to that new system and then they become obsolete and then they either go into criminal activity or you sterilize them or whatever right um, So it's yeah, that's exactly that's the creation the, the Rockefeller reforms in education. Yeah, were designed to do that rather than to have people who are both mechanics but also creative and could could be artists too, right? Could play an instrument, which is why a lot of the greatest scientists of Germany, oh, be, before were also musicians and a lot like you know why was Max Planck a, a great scientific discoverer who who opened up the door to the quantum world? It's because he was also a professional musician he he almost you know went into he's a pianist and he would often perform with with Albert Einstein, who was a violinist they would perform Mozart and Beethoven together when they were having a, a mental a, a creative block in their formulas they would they would go get nonlinear get beautiful with with by tapping into the source of of Mozart and then revisit their formulas with a fresh spirit and discovery concepts would arise. In a in a beautiful way, and they talked about that, and it was much more understood. It was not so mystified as it is today. Um, yeah, and
3: and the interesting thing is, for example, Wolfgang Goethe, the the bo- the poet, mm. he had uh, he had um, he know he knew ninety thousand words, and the average German today knows twelve thousand words. Mm. This is very interesting because it's a very decreasing, and the and um, and if we talk about uh, I, I have one thing about, I have one comment about uh, satanism. The interesting thing about satanism is, satanism is that they have the belief system that they will incarnate in the same family and they use the rituals in order to get the, to get in the right family again by birth. So the interesting thing about the satanists is they think about generations. Yes. And um and uh they think they will reborn will be reborn on this planet again so for them only this planet exists and nothing else
1: yeah that's a that's a good point that's a good point there's a i think that there's maybe a little bit of debate within the uh the oligarchy about like um you know they they have they have their own debates on uh, whether they have to um, reincarnate into into machines or something like that, or, or upload into some meta metaf- or literal cloud of uh, like a Google cloud or something to avoid entropy and death. But I think you're you're right. They got a whole set of rituals to try to control the uh, the consequence of their whatever they think of as their souls beyond their death, um, despite the fact that they have they they have made um immoral continuous decisions at every moment in the course of their lives, right? They don't want to think about the consequence <laughs> of of living um an an evil driven life willfully. They could have lived a better life, but they didn't. Um, instead they want to try to induce certain, yeah, formula formulas and spells and and rituals to try to control what happens to them after death. And it's like, no, that's it's not how that works. There's no evidence that things work that way. <laughs> um, but
3: well my the, the what i want to um what very important is uh that we also have to understand is that this situation in which we are right now is more than one hundred fifty years or one more than two hundred years old because oh, yeah. um uh first of all the um uh you can see it in the movie um metropolis i don't yeah. know whether you know this movie yeah, yeah. and um and also for example the, the leader of the IG Farben company uh, Fritz Temer who was responsible for the spell um, works may free yeah. he was only 7 years in prison then he came became a uh, in the council of bayern and he was the one who was uh, responsible for the codex alimentarius in 1969 which explains the use of genetic modified organism which came yes. activated in 2009. So so they think in many lifetimes and they think in many centuries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The situation is, as you said, um, um what is your vision of how do you think, um, what will the future look like with all your knowledge? Because you see, let's say, on the one hand, you see the power of the people, how they try it you see the awakening of of other people and you see also uh, the demoralization and uh, let's say the mass hypnosis of the of the masses. And um, do you have any feeling how a future can look like?
1: Depends if people take the time to use their minds or not, because I mean, I think the biggest problem we have is not in numbers that like Those who don't want to live in a dystopic future of a world government uh, satanic priest class, it's not like there's too few of of us. It's that Mm -hmm. they're too mediocre. They've been led to believe that the culture that they were born into is normal and that they have put very little effort into utilizing their mental muscles properly to properly develop a sense of what is their mind in a healthy, natural process. And they're mentally lazy oftentimes which caused them to make bad judgments and become increasingly um manipulated by forces that ultimately want to kill them and they know it but they don't know how to actually you got to think the the enemy is not mentally unrigorous they're not lazy um they're very rigorous they know history they they took the time to train their their progeny to be um very smart in some ways although very stupid in other ways um, But you have to not only think at least on that level, but even higher, if you're going to beat them, like this is again, why I always say Benjamin Franklin, like the guy was a great exemplar of somebody who was so rigorous and so honest and used his time so well that he was able to supersede the dominant theories of his age and create a new paradigm that had never existed before that gave us this opportunity to have our conversations today. That's the reason why the empire has not won for the past. They've not. They wanted to have a a global feudal slave plantation 300 years ago. It's not like this is a new desire, but you have this other thing that awakens um, that Ben Franklin tapped into, that I think is being tapped into. The reason why they haven't won today is because you you have a certain awakening happening in the in the Western part of the world, but the only place where I actually see proper statecraft being utilized to do battle with this thing is is in Eurasia. It's not here, so people here have to recognize that you know eurasia is not their enemy which is what a lot of people think they just they just think that you know china russia are the evil bad guys behind davos and they don't know any of this history they haven't they haven't taken the time to to research the battle in science uh they just don't know or they have you know so i mean i i could say a few more words i, ha- I have about five more slides do you, i i kind of answer your question in the yes first... please yeah okay
3: yes, Go ahead.
1: um the closed system idea, though, just so you know, one of the key ideas is that, again, justified the the more updated Malthusianism of the 20th century. It took the form of, a, of something called the second law of thermodynamics, which today permeates everything from e- ecological sciences to e- economics to even galaxy co- cosmology. It, it influences everything. This idea that. That all systems are fundamentally closed. That all that exists now as far as energy is all that ever could exist to sustain the system in question. Like, a, like an engine, when you put oil in your, in your gas tank, over time you're burning the oil. The, the, the parts of the engine move, but they're always moving with less potential to the point of a heat death, right? And that's an, that is a deterministic process. It gives you a sense of directionality. These Darwinians these neo-Darwinians, Malthusians, eugenicists, they all adhere to the the church of entropy, that that's the only fundamental single law of the universe. Everything else is ultimately random, but this, this is not random. Um, and if we're made in the image of that universe, then you know we are also entropic, and thus it, it requires an alpha class, right? A superior class to manage the diminishing returns. As a quick example of somebody who didn't think this way, a great, uh, a follower of Alexander von Humboldt, who was a friend of of Goethe, who also refuted Newton uh, on on optics and color, is interesting. Uh, Goethe actually was a scientist who refuted Newton and the Newtonian theory of color, which I love. Um, Is Carlens von Baer, who was also an artist and a scientist. And in 1876, he developed a a more healthy theory of evolution saying the reciprocal interconnection of organisms with one another and their relationship to the universal materials that offer them the means for sustaining life, is what has been called the harmony of nature. That is a relationship of mutual regulation. Just as tones, musical tones, only give rise to a harmony when they are bound together in accordance with certain rules, so can the individual processes in the wholeness of nature only exist and endure if they stand in certain relationships to one another. Chance, that is randomness, is unable to create anything enduring. Rather, it is only capable of destruction. Karl Ernst Ernst von under under underappreciated, wonderful scientist mind, and also political, he was a political philosopher too. One of his colleagues in America, Abraham Lincoln's leading economic advisor, Henry C. Carey, wrote a book called The Unity of Law and the Unification of Moral Technological uh, Sciences. And, and this guy was the best, the most influential economist, both with networks in Germany, around Audubon Bismarck, around the Friedrich, Friedrich List Society, as well as in Russia, Japan, China, South America. Like he was everywhere. And, and he is not taught in schools anymore. The, his books, they don't publish his books anymore. They only push, publish Adam Smith and those who are in conformity with, glo, you know, Satanism. But Henry C. Carey wrote in 1872 directly against Malthus and also Darwin in this book. He says, of all the contrivances for crushing out all Christian feeling and for developing self-worship that the world yet has seen, there has been none entitled to claim so high a rank as that which has been and daily is assigned to the Malthusian law of population. The more, and then he says more positively, so it's this self-worship egotism that the, anybody who's an adherent to the Malthus uh, theory of population, they will suffer from. Then he says, on a positive level, well, what is the source of what should be shaping our idea of value, economic behavior, money? Um, He says, the more perfect, that power of self-direction, the greater is the tendency towards increased control of mind over matter. The wretched slave to nature gradually yielding place to the master of nature, in whom the feeling of responsibility to his family, his country, his creator, and himself grows, with the growth of power to guide and direct the vast And various forces placed at his command. So it's a very different, more optimistic idea of science and technology that, you know, he gives the example uh, when we're ignorant to the forces of wind currents, um, you don't have the freedom to sail out to sea as much, right? When you discover the nature of wind, you can create sails all of a sudden, wind becomes a servant. You no longer have to have galley slaves rowing your boat for you because now you can use the force of nature to be the servant of your of your needs. Um, same thing with a machine that can do the work of a thousand slaves. The slaves are then free to be human. They don't have to live 14 hour a day manual labor lives. They now can explore their artistic, scientific selves and be contributors to the real value of the upshift of humankind. So in Henry C. Carey's view, to make to, to deal with useless eaters is you make them useful creators. And he says so explicitly in all of his works, and this is Abraham Lincoln's key economic advisor. Useless Eaters is an, is an arrogant, elitist label. Useful Creators is our true destiny and our true nature. John F. Kennedy took aim at this um, when he was organizing uh, on a multitude of levels where he says Maltus at the uh, National Academy of Sciences, 1963, October 22nd, one month before he's assassinated. He says, Malthus argued a century and a half ago that man, by using up all his available resources, would forever press on the limits of subsistence, thus condemning humanity humanity, to an infinite future of, of misery and poverty. We can now begin to hope, and I believe, know that Malthus was expressing not a law of nature, but merely the limitation then of scientific and social wisdom. I think this is beautiful because people don't appreciate Kennedy as a as a epistemological, as a cultural warrior the way he was. But he wasn't just calling for the end, the extraction of U.S. troops from Vietnam, the ending of the Vietnam War. He wasn't just he wasn't just doing that. He was also openly calling for um, breaking the Cold War system of controls by having uh, an alliance with Russia around a space program that would be jointly controlled by both Russian and American forces together so that we could find more points of harmony and mutual interest in co-explorers of the universe. And he has let speeches where he talks about not just the idea of going to the moon or something, he actually talks frequently about uh, stretching human activity to the uh, edges of the solar system and beyond. He is thinking about hitching our, our destiny to the infinite of creation, which completely changes how we see ourselves as a species of hedonism of right, pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain to being a species that pursues the love of wisdom and the love of discovery, um, which involves tapping into the inner, the small universe of atomic behavior, which has so many secrets still that, that we have to discover that allows for the transfer transference of, of energy into matter and matter into energy at the, at the service of the needs of both human systems, as well as the systems of the ecosystem itself. You know, like asteroids are going to hit. Asteroids periodically hit the earth. Comets do as well. Very, very destructive to all life. The, You know, living systems don't appreciate that. They, they suffer a lot. So human beings seem to be the first species that has exhibited the characteristic where we could feasibly break an extinction cycle. No other species has exhibited those potentialities up, up until this point. But the question then becomes, are we tolerant of the system of, of Satanism, of empire, that that allows us to destroy all of this potential to break an extinction, extinction cycle. You know, we got, we got ice ages. The sun is doing strange things right now that imply that we are po- probably going into either a small or a long ice age, which is going to be doing great damage to living systems, including food systems, even more than the damage we are doing to it ourselves, which we are doing it to, to ourselves right now. Um, so my last slide, uh, just to get across the battle over the the paradigms of what will be the nature of the fourth industrial revolution, which is just, this is an old idea that goes back to the 1950s that we are with information technology, um, you know, machine learning processes, we human labor that is repetitive is not going to be needed. So the question is what type of social organization is going to come about? And is it going to be based upon a new technotronic feudalism of global enslavement and mass depopulation? And is that going to be what technology does in terms of, you know, machine learning could do a lot of good uh, for a variety of things in medicine, as well as in, uh, uh, you know, mining, especially going into other planets or asteroids. You don't want to put, put human beings into space for a very long time. There's all sorts of things that could hurt and kill humans. But so you'd want it to be automated for a a long period, but that means that it would be nice to have logarithms that could, you know, learn in a certain way when new stimulation is encountered, that allows it to not just break down on the first thing that happens when you're in space that a a programmer did not anticipate, Uh, you know, computer uh, 3d printing, things like that. This is revolutionary stuff, but is it going to be used again to enslave or to liberate us? Is it going to be a servant or a master or a master, uh, tool. That's the question. Um, so t- I mean, Putin's speech should be read in full at, uh, the St. Peter Petersburg economic forum. It's a fantastic speech where he basically calls for the end of the, the, uh, the, lib- the unipolar age and a calling forth of the defense of the sovereign nation state, multipolarism, cooperation, instead of competition. Um, very, very strong speech. Anyway, I, t- I picked a little selection where it deals with technology. But he says, and then I'm going to end, technological development is a cross-cutting area that will define the current decade in the entire 21st century. We will review in depth our approaches to building a groundbreaking technology-based economy, a techno-economy, at the upcoming Strategic Development Council meeting. There is so much we can discuss. Most importantly, many managerial decisions must be made in the sphere of engineering, education, and transferring research to the real economy. And the, pr- the provision of financial resources for fast-growing high-tech companies, changes in the global economy, finances, and international relations are unfolding at an ever faster, uh, ever growing pace and scale. There is an increasingly pronounced trend in favor of a multipolar growth model in lieu of globalization. Of course, building and shaping a new world order. And again, he's using the term, and a lot of people who are who are uh, fixated on words. They hear a word being used and they don't look at the context because there's a battle over, we're going to get a new order. Okay. We're not going back to globalization. The question is, is this new order going to be premised around enslavement or will technology money government be in the service of human need? That's the fight. Um, so yeah, he's not a crypto, a crypto fascist globalist or something like many say we will have to confront many challenges, risks, and factors that we can hardly predict or anticipate today. Still, it is obvious that it is up to the strong sovereign states, those that do not follow a trajectory imposed by others to set the rules governing the new world order. Only powerful and sovereign states can have their say in this emerging world order. Otherwise, they are doomed to become or remain colonies devoid of any rights." And I'm stopping the sharing right now. Got a bit of a lag.
0: Matthew. Yeah. What can I say? And what can the audience say except uh, eternal gratitude to all your fantastic work. One of the comments of the viewers that you're speaking so close to what quantum morphogenetic science talks about. And that means just being, you know, in that not a God particle, but a source particle. And they talk all about source face in, facing. So basically I and all of us would like to thank you again and again. And we acknowledge that as you have emphasized that we are co-creators and that co-creativity and in that with the eternal embrace and absolute humility and absolute love and absolute forgiving and only an absolute service to the eternal source. We thank you and we temporarily end this podcast and episode. But before we end, please invite them, Matthew, to where they could really follow you more and all the books and sign signature and pdfs etc go ahead
1: yeah sure they can go to and thank you again for hosting these these really nice little um educational seminars i think it's really great that you have a community that's really just pursuing discoveries and that's so happy. um yeah they, they can go to um rising um for some of our educational science cultural stuff and and we do seminars every week as well uh sundays um cynthia just did a really great series on c.s lewis and his uh battle against the transhumanists um in his science fiction trilogy uh which is just wonderful the part three is going to be up uh by tonight um really extraordinary if people haven't read c.s lewis's science trilogy on that hideous strength and uh Paralandra and uh, out of the silent planet oh shoot amazing like really nailing the entire Yuval Harari Davos satanic ideology really well super strong stuff uh, anyway so that's a uh, rising tide foundation if they want to buy books uh you know Cynthia and I have co-written uh, many seven books and those are all available on uh, canadianpatriot.org um, our sub stacks are also our bread and butter so if people want to get a paid subscription that that helps a lot if not there's free free stuff too um Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I, I went on a little bit longer than I, I. I put this this PowerPoint together like an hour. I, I woke up at uh, at eleven thirty, and I was like, ah, I need I need images, so I it it got it, I put it together really kind of really fast, um, and I was hoping to have more time for maybe some some dialogue and, and interplay, which we often do a bit more of, and maybe the, the next time I come around, we won't do a, a slideshow. We'll just have a back and forth. But but I hope that I answered the question in terms of a little bit, in terms of what I think. The weaknesses and what the power is to destroy the satanic force um in some way um i hope i did that
0: yeah no we we appreciate anything that you do and we're, we're not stuck with any particular format and as long as as you said as we can continue to co-create and then the viewers and all of us continue to learn we're with you however you want to have the conversation
1: okay, okay. cool all right Well, guys, it was a pleasure. Bye. Thanks.